Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. I love that last line Heidi said. Living generously has moved mountains in their lives. It is that powerful, living a generous life. And, and we actually were able to see that firsthand um, in the last couple of weeks um, as we kind of just opened the doors for people to be able to um, donate to the fire relief efforts up in Napa and Sonoma and, and to just open the doors and thousands and thousands of donated items came through our doors and we were just kind of a conduit to be able to send them back out and hundreds of volunteers showed up and hundreds of people made uh, trips up to Sonoma and to Santa Rosa, sometimes four-hour drive um, with all that was going on. And, and just see the outpouring of generosity and, and how God used that to powerfully touch other people's lives. And then last weekend, we had our walk for water. And, and I got to honestly tell you, um, I, you know, our goal was to reach seven wells, uh, over $70,000, and uh, to raise that. And, and I was really kind of feeling like, I don't know if we're going to reach our goal because... Um, you know, people have just been so generous and be pouring out all this generosity. You know, it's kind of a, you know, giving fatigue, donor fatigue. And, and I was just saying, God, if we could just reach five wells, I'd be happy. And then to come at the end of last weekend and to actually have been able to fund more than seven wells in Uganda was just incredibly exciting. And then um, this last week, we just decided, okay, um, people are going back to their homes out of the fire um, and uh, we're no, no, no longer taking um, donations of, uh, of goods and items. Um, but if you could just give a gift card, you know, a $100 gift card or here or there, um, that we will get that to people to help them in their rebuilding process of their lives. We had over $5,000 come through um, in gift cards. It was just incredible. And here's the thing about it all, is that nobody had to do any arm twisting. It it was just, it was a natural, spontaneous thing that people just started giving. When they heard of a need, they just gave. And and the, the, the thing that I heard more often than not from people is it just feels good. It feels good to be generous. And here's why I believe that's true. I believe that is true because I believe that that is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. There is no other species, there's no other part of God's creation that takes joy in giving away. But human beings do because we are created in his image. And God is the most generous being there is. And when we give, we we say it often, that when we live generous lives and, and we give, we are most like God when we give. Because we serve a generous God. And this series that we're starting this week, and I'm glad you're here with us, both in Beach Campus, and those of you who are joining us in the Vallejo Campus, those watching online, um, the reason we're doing this whole series is because I believe we know how good it feels to be generous, but we tend to hold back on it. And I think we hold back on generosity, and we hold back on the giving, and it all comes down, it could be summed up in one simple word, worry. I think the biggest hindrance to our living generous lives is worry. That we are worried, if I'm generous, if I give, then who's going to take care of me? If I give away, then, then how am I going to be provided for? 
And in fact, I, I, I kind of went online this week and just trying to see what are the top 10 worries um, that people in the United States, North America have? What are the top 10 worries of North Americans? And of the top 10 worries that people uh, identified, five of them had to do with finances. It was either trying to find a job or making sure I can keep my job or people worried about being able to make their house payment or, or their rent. Um, people worried about the amount of credit card debt that they have. The number one worry that people have is, do I have enough in savings to live on when I retire? Of the top 10 worries that we have, five of them have to do with our finances. And you were never meant to live with that worry. And, and the answer to that worry is financial freedom and that's where God wants us to live. And so we did the series actually a year ago. We've tried to do it every year because it's a, free, a refresher course. And I don't know about you, but my wife and I, we have to review our budget every year, at least once a year. And we need to be reminded of all of these things. And so we're doing the series again. We're calling it The Road to Financial Freedom. But it's based on a book um, called, written by a man named Barry Cameron called The ABCs of Financial Freedom. He wrote this book because in the late 1990s, he and his family, he's a pastor in uh, Grand Prairie, uh, Texas, and he just got to the point where they realized, you know, this is not any way to live, the way that they were handling their finances. And they just made a decision that as a family, they were going to get debt-free. They were going to be financially free and, and just start handling their money the way God says to handle it. And he says it took them over three years to get everything under control. That's kind of the place that they were at. But once they did that, since 2001, they have lived consistently debt-free. And he wrote this book out of that experience. And the things that they learned is they put godly principles to, to work in their own lives and in their own finances. And so last year, um, we did for the very first time, we made this book available. We believe so much in the principles that are here because they're right from scripture that we want to get everybody get this book. And, and so much so that we are giving away the book, okay? You can pick it up in the library after the service. Stop by the table there. If you were here last year and you don't know where you put that book or where, you know, where, pick up another one, okay? We'll give you another one. The principles here are so, so important. We encourage you, pick up this book. It is a gift we are giving to you. We believe in this. Now, along with that comes a workbook. This is where the magic happens, okay? Because this is where you take those principles and you start putting them to use in your own life. You got to buy this one, $5, okay? If you cannot afford $5 investment in your financial freedom, you're in worse shape than you think, okay? So we're just asking you, you buy the workbook and, and get involved in a community group. And you can get plugged into a community group for the next four weeks. This is going to be the series that we're going to be going through. And I encourage you. Now, here's something I know. Whenever we start talking about money, particularly in the church, people's defenses go up. And it's because it's a very private issue and we don't want anybody telling us what we ought to do with our money. Here's the thing. God knows how life works and he gave these principles so that you could put them to work in your life. So that you could live financially free. Not just for your own benefit and peace of mind, but so that you could live generously and live a generous life because that's how God designed it to work. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks. It really is a discipleship issue because 
When we become more generous, the more that we give, the more that we become like Christ. And that's the basis for this whole series. So pick up the book, pick up the workbook, get involved in a community group. And uh, today we're going to start with what is the step one in all of this thing. And it comes down to our attitude. What is your attitude? What is my attitude when it comes to our finances? Why do my defenses go up when somebody wants to talk about that? Why do I not want anybody to know what my financial picture looks like? It has to do with our attitude. And Jesus told, in fact, he spoke more about money than any other single issue because he knows that's where our heart is. And so he told stories, parables about that. We're going to look at one of them together. And they're very applicable, and we're going to look through them together. And, and by the way, let me just say, if you are in your teens or in your 20s, now is the time to get these principles at work in your life. I wish somebody had told me this stuff when I was in my 20s. It would have saved me a lot of grief and a lot of stress. Um, so if you're in your 20s and you're just getting started in, in your career or, or you know, you're a teenager and you're just having your first job, these are the principles you want to get into your life right now. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 16, Jesus told this story. He said, the ground of a, rich, a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. There's that word, worry. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothes. Verse 29. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The road to financial freedom starts with an attitude shift. And there's three fundamental shifts that need to take place in your attitude and in my attitude towards our finances if we're going to start down this road. And the first one is this. Don't assume it's yours to consume. Don't assume that it's yours to consume. Andy Stanley calls this the consumption assumption. And it goes kind of like this. If it comes to me, then it's for me and I need to take care of me. If it comes to me, then it's for me, and I need to take care of me. That is the consumption assumption. Jesus might call it the bigger barn syndrome. And he tells this story to come, make us come to grips with it. And look at how he starts this story. I don't know if you notice this. He starts the story with this. The ground of a certain rich man may yield an abundant, a rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Now, what's so special about that? What I want you to notice is how he doesn't start it. He doesn't start it with, there was a great farmer 
who knew exactly when to plant his crops and how to fertilize and how to water it in such a way that he produced a a wonderful crop. He doesn't start with the farmer. He says, no, the ground did it. (laughs) The ground produced this abundant harvest. Because, see, the whole consumption assumption starts with this idea that I earned it. I worked hard for it. I made it happen, and so if I've made it happen and it's come to me, then it's mine because I earned it, and I, it's mine to keep and mine to hoard and mine to spend on myself. And so Jesus, who is a master teacher, a master storyteller, starts the story with giving it all from the beginning. It's the ground. The ground produced this wonderful harvest. See, when we think it all depends on us and we think it's all for us, we become tight-fisted. And we don't live generous lives because if I give it away, who's going to take care of me? Notice as he goes on with the story. I don't, what I want you to notice is all of the pronouns, okay? He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. It's all about me. And that's the problem. That's the problem. The whole idea was that it's, it's mine. And if I've got excess, well, then I need to rent a storage unit. I need to buy a storage unit. And isn't that how we all live? I mean, think about that. We, we just, we accumulate more and more stuff, so much so that we fill up our garage so we can't even put our car in the garage because it's full of stuff. And then we still have more stuff, so we pay somebody else to let us store our stuff in their places that we will never look at again and won't think about until the bill comes the next month to pay for the storage unit. And yet we keep acquiring more and more stuff because we think If it came to me, then it's for me. And I need to take care of me. The problem with the consumption assumption is that it's an appetite. And an appetite only grows when you feed it. Think about it. Think about any appetite. What happens when you feed an appetite? Does it get greater or smaller? It gets greater. You feed an appetite and it just gets bigger. And that's the problem with the consumption assumption. It will never be satisfied. And so what we do is we keep buying more and more stuff. We keep acquiring more and more goods. We keep trying to make more and more money. And then what we do is not only do we, we, we go to the limit, we go beyond the limit and then we get ourselves in debt because it's an appetite that will never be satisfied. And that's the problem with the consumption assumption. And Jesus said about that way of living, that's crazy. That's nuts. That's foolish. That's what he says to the man. He says, you fool. You fool. Not because he had a lot, but because he thought it was all for himself. You fool. This very night of your your life will be demanded of you. Then, listen to the question, because this is the question that he asks of all of us. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And the answer to that question is always 
somebody else. Somebody else. The answer to the question for him is, who's going to get what you prefer for yourself? Somebody else. Not because he was generous, but because he was dead. It will always go to somebody else. Always. And what Jesus is doing, he's just, he's just, folks, it's just common sense. If you do not get to keep it forever, if you don't get to determine where it ends up, then it was never really yours in the first place. It never was. It was just on loan to you. And that's the the attitude that needs to shift. It's the ownership issue. It is not mine to spend on myself. That becomes an appetite that will never be satisfied. And if it doesn't stay with you, then you never really owned it in the first place. And the first change that has to happen, the first shift in our attitude has to be, don't assume it's yours to consume. The second one is this, don't trust in your riches, but in the one who richly provides. Now, the first one was the ownership issue. This is the trust issue. This is the security issue. See, the reason we worry so much about our finances is because we've misplaced our trust. We think that our security is in what we have and what we have saved. And, and, and that's the problem with this man. He mistakenly thought that he, was on, he had everything under control. This is what he said. I will say to myself, and by the way, anytime in Scripture somebody says something to themselves, it's usually bad. Okay? <laughs> I will say to myself, you have plenty. You have plenty of grain stored up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This, I've arrived. I've got it made. I'm golden. It's all taken care of. Now I can sit back and enjoy the rest of my life. Uh, John Ortberg in his book, It All Goes Back in the Box, says if you were to take this man's story and put it on a list of what things matter most, it would look something like this. What matters most? First one is harvest a large crop. Then once you've harvested a large crop, build bigger barns because you've got to have a place to store all that stuff. And the third one then would be achieve financial security. And now once I've got financial security, now eat and drink and be merry. And the one that he didn't think of was number seven, remember not to die. <laughs> See, the illusion of control is that I've got it all under control. And, and, and losing everything, death is the great reminder. We don't have near as much control as we think we do. That is simply an illusion. As you've watched the news reports, or as I've watched them anyway, I I don't know how much you've watched them, but survivors of the hurricanes um, in Texas and in Florida, or survivors who are now going back to their homes and sifting through all the debris from the fires, and, and very often, on the interviews, people would say things like this, I got out, my family got out, we are all alive, that's enough, the rest is just stuff. How often I heard that. It's amazing that it takes a calamity or a tragedy to help us realize what really matters most. In fact, just this morning, Contra Costa Times, I Open the paper, and here it was. Title of this article is Americans Rethinking Their Love Affair with Stuff. It says, 
the result of the hurricanes and the fires and all these things that have happened is that people are rethinking about what matters most. Um, one quote, it says, Americans, even those outside the disaster zones, are starting conversations about how much stuff they have and what they really need. I think another reason why we respond so generously to disasters like we do is we are reminded of our own vulnerability. That it takes something like that to remind us, you know, we're not in control. If I had five minutes to get out of my house, what would I take? The people. (laughs) If I had nothing else, it would be the people that I love and the clothes on my back. Because that's what matters most. And that's, in essence, what Jesus is saying. Don't put your trust in your riches. That's not where your security is. Your security is the one who richly provides for all that you need. Now, I am not saying it is not wise to have a savings account. You should have a savings account. In fact, when we get into the workbook in work three, we're gonna, there's a, a, a spending plan that you're going to be able to work through. And, and part of that plan is going to be savings. Building into your budget a savings, a savings for an emergency fund because stuff comes up all the time, and then long-term savings for the future. That has to be a part of your plan. Jesus is not saying don't plan for the future. He's just saying just remember that's not really where your security lies. Your security lies in me. I've had people say things to me like, I wish I could do more. I wish I could give more. And I want to tell them, you can. You just got to decide to do it. You got to decide to live generously. You got to take those steps to make it happen. Trust in the one who richly provides. We will never get the trust issue right until we come to the settled belief that God really cares about me, that He really does love me, that He knows my needs, and He will provide whatever that need is. Look at what Jesus says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. In fact, I don't know if you notice it, but when Jesus tells the parable, the, the emphasis is on the ownership issue. But when he starts making the application to everyday life and talking about worry, it shifts from ownership to relationship. Did you notice that? In the parable, when he's telling the story, it's all about recognizing who the real owner is and where you're not con- in control. But when he makes the application to his disciples, he starts talking about your heavenly father. See, he goes on. He says, the pagan world runs after all these things. Now, pagan, that's a word that everybody kind of freaks out on. It just simply means people who don't believe in God. He says, people who don't believe in God run after such things, and your father knows that you need them. In fact, he goes on. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That God cares about you, and he will take care of you. And you don't have to run after all that stuff like everybody else does. You can live a generous life if you'll put these principles to work in your life. It's not an ownership issue so much as it is a relationship issue. It's not so much about a transaction. It's about trust. And that goes to the third shift in our attitude. Don't be rich in this world without being rich toward God. Don't be rich in this world without being rich toward God. See, what makes this story so tragic 
is that this man didn't realize where the true riches were. And so his life was a total loss. When his life came to the end, he had nothing to show for what he had done with his riches, except bigger barns that went to somebody else. See, the true measure of richness is not in what we amass, it's in what we give away. Miroslav Wolf, um, I read this quote years and years ago and it has stuck with me. He said, we strive, there is a difference between richness of having and richness of being. And we strive for richness of having thinking that's where happiness lies and it doesn't. And that's why we are never fulfilled. Richness of being is where true happiness lies, true fulfillment lies. And richness of being has to do with people, not stuff. This man's life was a total loss because he never invested in anything that would outlast him. And so Jesus turns and he sums the whole thing up with these words. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Invested in other people's lives. Because people are the only thing that go into eternity. All the rest just is ashes. Investing in God's kingdom. Because that's where eternity lies. That when I give and when I live generously, I am investing in the kingdom of God. Because God loves people. And when I invest in and love on people generously, I am investing and loving on God. Now that seems counterintuitive. In fact, it is counterintuitive. Most of us would say, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean the way to financial freedom is to start giving away? Yeah, because that's how God's economy works. God's economy does not operate in the same way that the U.S. economy operates. Thank him. (laughs) His economy works differently. Like Guy and Heidi's story is that when you start giving away, you show how faithful you are with the stuff that God gives you. So he gives you more. Not that you could hoard more, but that you could give more. And the more that you give, the more he provides. And the more that you give and the more he provides. And that's how his economy works. Because he's not interested in richness of having. He is invested in richness of being. And that's what he wants for your life. But you cannot, and I cannot live a generous life until I shift my attitude. Until you shift your attitude and start thinking about your stuff in a different way. Jesus was very, very clear. This is how you invest in God's kingdom. You give. Look at this, verse 32. Seek his kingdom, and all these will be given to you as well. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's how his kingdom works. When you invest in people, when you give to needy, when you invest in the kingdom of God, you are making an investment in eternity. And God cares for the rest. All these things will be given to you as well. But seek his kingdom, because that's where eternity 
lies. You see, God is the best and most generous giver of all. I want you you to think about that. He is the most generous being there is. The most well-known of all sentences in the Bible. That even people who don't know the Bible know this sentence. It's from John, chapter 3. God so loved the world that he gave. And he didn't give just a little bit. And he didn't give just a percentage. He gave the very best. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the gift of his grace. And he gave it freely so that you and I could also be generous in giving life to others. He is the most generous being there is. And the more that we give, the more we become like him. Would you bow your heads with me? I will be the first one to tell you that I have made more than my share of financial mistakes over the years. I'm not telling you this stuff like I did it all right all the time. And we've had to get ourselves out of some holes. But we did make a a point from the day we were married, my wife and I, actually from before we were married individually, we decided this, but as a married couple, the very first thing we would do would be give back to God and His work. And so from day one, every time we got a paycheck, the first check we wrote was 10% of our income went back to the work of God. 10%. And we thought for a long time, we were doing pretty good. We were very faithful tithers. And then a number of years ago, we were challenged to go beyond the tithe, because that's just basically training wheels when it comes to generosity, and to actually start living generously. And we just made some decisions to give above and beyond. Not only to our own church, but to other ministries and other um, needs that we would support. And, And I have found it to be true in our life. The more that we have given, the more God has taken care of us. And he will do the same for you. But it starts with your attitude. It starts with, it's had to start with my attitude. So here's my question for you as we close. What needs to shift in your attitude towards your finances? Does it need to shift from this assumption of consumption that it's for me since it came to me? Is that where the change needs to happen? Or, or is it a change in the trust issue? That truly believing that God has your best interest at heart and he will take care of you. And maybe that's where the change needs to happen. Or maybe it's one of your value system. Putting greater value into things that last for eternity. Wherever it hits you, wherever God is speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to make a decision about that. We do this every week. Both here on our Benicia campus and those in our Vallejo campus. As your campus host comes and takes over at this point that's the question that's the question so would you be willing today to start down that road of financial freedom would you be willing to just make that first step and say God I need to change my attitude because I've been living as if it all belongs to me or I need to change my attitude and start trusting you more and my own 
supply less. Or I just need a change in my value system. Wherever it is, if you would be willing today to say, God, I'm going to go down that road. I'm going to change the way I look at my stuff. However that might look to you. I know this is the beginning of a long journey and it might take you months, it might take you years to get it all under control. But I want to pray for you as we close. And if you would be honest enough to say, I need some prayer in that regard. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. Just raise your hand, hold it up, and as you do, look up, catch my eye because I want to acknowledge you and pray with you and for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, all over. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll take that first step. Change that attitude. You'll see what God can do in your life. Now, maybe you're here today, and, and let me make this really, really clear. What we are talking about in this whole series is not about buying your way into heaven. <laughs> it's not about trying to, to, to pay your way for God's love. He's already shown that to you. That's why Jesus came and died on a cross for you. That comes as a free gift. And, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe where you're at today is that first step of faith. You've never done this before. You've been living it all on your own. And maybe you can say, you know what? I've got enough failures and mistakes and sin in my life to prove it's not working on my own. And today you need to take a first step of faith. And it's just simply acknowledging, God, I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need my life to be in your hands. And today it's that first step of faith for you. And if it is, I want to lead you in a prayer also as we close. So same thing. Would you just raise your hand? And when you do, look up. Catch my eye so I can acknowledge you and pray with you. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm just going to ask you to make this your prayer. And whether it's a first step of faith or just this new area of my life, it's simply the same prayer. God, you know me. You know my struggles, you know my mistakes, you know my failures, you know my sin. I cannot do this on my own. I am bringing my life to you today. And I'm asking for your grace and that gift of eternal life to wash over me. I need your strength, I need your help, I need your direction for my life, for my finances, whatever it might be. God, today I'm giving up the the illusion of control and I'm putting my life in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You